You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. Uh, Well, you know, something sometimes what is old is new and new is old. So we're back on to the topic of intermittent fasting because this is so hot, a topic we're hearing so much about it, but we want to get um, the facts straight about this. You know, we did an episode on intermittent fasting in the first season of Spot On. And, you know, that was, you know, about two years ago. And, you know, like anything, nutrition is a science. And it keeps evolving. So we have an update on more about intermittent fasting that we didn't know in the first episode. So we decided to revisit it. So this is the, you know, more additional um, information about intermittent fasting that you should really know about and get a better handle on understanding it. So I brought in a rock star today to talk about this and make it, you know, uh, consumer friendly and make the topic of intermittent fasting a little bit more clear. Uh, so, so today I brought on my guest, Sangeeta Prudhan, and she is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and educational specialist. Uh, she is the diabetes program coordinator at the Charles River Medical Associates, and she's currently the chair of the Central Massachusetts Dietetics Association. So she's a big wig here. She blogs and she writes, and she is she is one fabulous guest speaker. And it was hard for me to snag her and get her onto the, uh, spot on, but she opened up her calendar because um, she likes me. So with that, I am gonna welcome Sangeeta Prudhan to Spot On. Thank you, Joan, and I am so incredibly honored to be on your show. So thank you for having me. Miss Intermittent Fasting, that's what we're going to call you. Let's regroup again and let's, you know, can you explain to the listeners what intermittent fasting is? So Joan, intermittent fasting is actually a catch-all term for various fasting regimens, including alternate day fasting, which basically is alternate days of either very strict fasting, which means just zero calories, uh, or it could be about 25% of your estimated calorie needs. So roughly 500 calories on those fasting days, followed by alternate days of regular ad-lib eating. Or it could be the 5-2 window where you do two consecutive or non-consecutive days of uh, reduced calories, typically again about 500 calories, followed by five days of just regular eating. And then there's the time-restricted feeding where you basically compress your eating window. And that could be anywhere from six to eight to up to 10 hours, which means that the remainder of the day, you're undergoing a prolonged fast. So essentially, intermittent fasting could be anywhere from 12 hours to say two to three days. Beyond that, that's starvation. That's not what we are discussing today. But the intent is to put 
the body into state of quote-unquote ketosis. And in so doing, what it's doing is, is it's finding that trigger point where it flips the metabolic switch and it goes from a glucose burning mode to a fat burning mode. And in that process, it produces these molecules called ketones that have been shown to have a very wide range of health promoting benefits. Okay, so so basically, whichever one you're on, the five days and then two days, which I can't, you know, I'm Italian, I can't even imagine not eating or eating little for just one day. That that was <laughs> that one's right out the door for me. But but really, what the essence is, you're going through a, a long period of time where you are not eating or not eating enough. So therefore, your body has switched to burning fat, which produces these ketones. And that seems to be the magic behind it. So you're burning these ketones because you're not eating. And again, it's either you're not eating enough on a full day or, as you said, with time-restricted eating or feeding, you're stopping, you know, maybe like at 6 or 7 o'clock at night and then not eating the whole time until the next, what, 12 hours or... Minimally. Minimally. Okay. Minimally. That's what it would take to flip the switch. Right. And so you don't necessarily get that with just a simple calorie restriction. Because then we could just do Weight Watchers. Why jump through all these hoops to do, do fasting? So it sounds like the longer you don't eat, mm-hmm. the, the more you'll be burning fat and producing these ketones. Right? Precisely. But of course, as with anything else, there is a balance there. So we don't want to push to the extreme because then you can get into that starvation mode. So we are essentially talking about at the most 24 hours of fasting as you would do with the alternate day fasting, right? But you're right, absolutely. The higher the energy deficit that is created because you've gone into a fasting mode, the less glucose that's coming into the body. So the body doesn't have a choice but to start mobilizing its backup stores, which is fat. And when fat is burnt in the absence of glucose because there is no exogenous glucose, that's when we produce these miracle molecules, as I like to call them, i.e. ketones. So, so if I get this straight, then like if I was to stop eating at 7 p.m. at night mm-hmm. and I didn't eat the whole night, I hope, hope I don't get up in the middle of the night and eat, but mm-hmm. you know, so actually some people actually do that. Mm-hmm. But if I just go to bed and go to sleep and I wake up, all right, so seven, I stopped eating at 7 p.m. and I get up at 6 7 a.m. There's my 12 hours. But if I was to not have anything until 9 mm-hmm. or 10, mm-hmm. that would put me in more in the fasting zone or the fasting stage. And therefore, I'd be you know, uh, burning more ketones. Yes, you would. Uh, yes. And at that point, so the studies that we have so far, we have studies like in terms of since you're specifically referring to time-restricted feeding. We do have, for instance, and a study, it's called, the, it was the ETRF, Early Time-Restricted Feeding. And essentially, those folks in the study, it was a very well-controlled, randomized controlled trial, and they underwent a six-hour eating 
I should say, an 18-hour fasting window and a six-hour fast. So yes, the, the longer that fast, the more likely you are to produce some to produce ketones. So, so, so these people ate for six hours and then fasted for the rest? Yes. Oh, okay. Wow. So that's a, sh- that's a short window. That is a very short window. Um, so we are not, I'm not necessarily recommending anything one, one way or the other. My job today is to present the evidence as it stands and we need to sort of sift through it and, and, you know, maybe perhaps draw some conclusions. But the problem that we have, Joan, is we just don't have, as you know, enough data at this point uh, in terms of long-term studies. Right, right. You know, um, it's interesting. Uh, You know, we have such crazy lifestyles and we've always been told, eat three meals a day, you know, or graze and small, small meals. But that sounds like this perpetual grazing all day long and more importantly, all night long, um, is turning out to be not good advice. Right. So, you know, it's not necessarily the frequency of meals um, that we are, that we are against here. In other words, there's probably nothing wrong with having three meals and maybe, you know, a snack or two, assuming it's not snickerdoodles. But but um, what we are trying to suggest here is that we need to give the body somewhat of a break. And by allowing a reasonable fasting window, that actually allows the body to mobilize those fat stores, get into that state of ketosis. And in so doing, it unleashes these highly uh, orchestrated, adaptive, protective mechanisms in the body, which it turns out actually ensured the survival of the species. Because essentially what happens when you go into the state of ketosis is that these adaptive pathways that are unleashed, it means that it increases your stre- your resistance to disease, your resistance to stress. And At the end of the day, if it's increasing your resistance to disease, it's actually, by the way, turning on antioxidant genes and all these elegant mechanisms, who knew, are being turned on. So at the end of the day, the organism emerges victorious, if you will. It has not only survived the storm, this organism emerges stronger on the other side. Go figure. You would think they would be reeling under the impact. Far from it, they actually emerge stronger than ever before. And that's how the species survived. Okay, so, so, all right, so you have this fasting time and the ketones kick in. Can we, can we tell me some of the good things that it's doing? Because, you know, it's funny, Sangeeta, you, you, you hear ketones, you're like, oh, I don't know if this is good. You know, you know, yeah, we, you know, this is not good. You, your blood, you know, you should have level amount of glucose in your blood. Your brain loves glucose. All this stuff we've been heard. But now I'm hearing is that, you know, for a, cer- a certain bulk of time during the day, it's not a bad idea not to be eating because maybe these ketones do good things. And can you tell us what these ketones do? Yes, absolutely. So in order to really understand that without getting into the technical mumbo jumbo, uh, you know me, I'm a bit of a science nerd, but I'm going to hold my horses here and just tell it like it is. So basically, 
You never mumble and you never jumble. So stop, all right? No, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too much into the technical jargon. Um, but basically what happens is that there's a couple of important concepts that we need to sort of wrap our heads around. Glucose is the primary fuel source for your body under normal circumstances. But and your secondary or backup fuel, if you will, is fat. Glucose, Joan, glucose is like a bully, okay? It's trying to push the fats to the back of the line. So, so glucose is your primary fuel source. The backup is fat. When <clears throat> this primary fuel source is limited or scarce or non-existent, your body, like a hybrid machine, will flip that metabolic switch. And it, that's when it actually begins to dip into its fat stores and it produces these wonder molecules called ketones to supply much needed fuel to your brain and other organs and tissues. However, to your point, ketones have gotten a bad rap and there are some negative connotations that are associated with it. So let me clarify something for the audience, if I may. So there is a condition called diabetic ketoacidosis. Ketoacidosis is not to be confused with the ketosis that we are talking about at this time. So what happens is that in folks who have type 1 diabetes, there is this absolute insulin deficiency. There is no insulin whatsoever. The factory has shut down. What that means is that this hormone called insulin, which is shuttling glucose into your cells, because that glucose, remember, is your primary fuel. But if there is no insulin, no glucose is getting shuttled into those cells. So the cells are starving. There is no fuel. It's ironic. There's all this glucose in the blood, but the body isn't able to access it. And so the body says, uh oh, I guess I'd better get into my fat stores, dig that out of the freezer if you will, and it then begins to burn fat. But the energy deficit is so huge because there is no glucose available that the body burns vast amounts of fat. And in that process, a very large amount of ketones, there's this dramatic rise in ketones that is produced and they are acidic. And therefore, the body's pH begins to shift into the acidic range at that time creating a life-threatening condition called diabetic ketoacidosis. But that is not to be confused with the ketosis that we are talking about. So for instance, in the ketogenic diet, which I'm not necessarily endorsing, the amount of ketones that's produced, just to give a little bit of context to the audience, you produce about 0.5 to say 3 millimoles of ketones per liter through the ketogenic diet. In the fed state, so when we are eating, if you were to check your ketones, say after a, you know, just regular eating, probably a minuscule amount, 0.1 millimoles, which makes sense because there's an abundance of nutrients available. There is no incentive to dig into the fat stores and produce ketones. If you were to exercise, that's going to push up your ketones a little bit because you're burning fat. In the fasting state, your ketone levels could be anywhere between oh, 2 to maybe 5 millimoles per liter. And that would be like, you know, if you're going 
if you're fasting for say up to 24 hours or more than that. Now compare that with diabetic ketoacidosis, which is of course a very dangerous condition. The amount of millimoles per liter, the amount of ketones, I should say, millimoles per liter would be in the order of 10 to 20 to 25 millimoles per liter. That is a whole order of magnitude higher than what you would see with fasting. That's a whole different beast. Right. So what happens in this very serious case of people with type 1 diabetes because they lack the insulin? You're going to get this boatload of ketones, <clears throat> which is very, very acidic and dangerous. But in, in the people who do not have diabetes, as long as there's insulin around, you're, you're, gonna, you're going to get a, a ketose, uh, ketone rising up into ketosis, but it's not going to be at the dangerous acidic level as the people who have diabetic ketoacidosis. Is that pretty much it? No, you're, you are spot on, my friend. So basically... Basically, what it is, is as long as you have adequate amounts of insulin, there's adequate amounts of insulin to shuttle glucose into your cells. Your cells are getting the fuel they need. The cells are happy. You are happy. The body doesn't have to go into its backup stores at all. Does that make sense? Right, right. That makes sense. They want to go when, you know, and when we're talking about intermittent fasting, they want to go into the backup store when needed, but we don't want to do it at a, such a severe level as people who have um, type 1 diabetes uh, because of the insulin. Yes, but you won't. Right, but you won't because there's always going to be some baseline amounts of insulin available to abort that process from happening in the first place. Right, right. Okay, so we, we distinguish between the two, and that's great because that's very, very important to make the difference between those two conditions. Okay, so now we fasted for, I don't know, 14 hours, just say. I went to bed and got, didn't eat anything. Let's go back to that. So now I, I have more ketones around. What? Tell me the positive things these ketones are doing in my body. Yes. Absolutely, that is so key. So first off, ketones are not only providing fuel for your brain and other tissues and organs in your body uh, when you are in a fasted state, um, and you know clearly your body desperately needs energy, so they form, they provide an excellent source of fuel as it happens, but they are also clean burning fuels. They don't produce exhaust. It's like premium gasoline. Glucose, your primary fuel, on the other hand, does produce some free radicals. You don't see that with ketones. Secondly, they are much more efficient at producing energy compared to glucose. As if that's not enough, they also stimulate the production of, get ready for this one, it's a mouthful, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And what this is, is it's, in, it's a nerve growth factor. It allows your neurons to grow and thrive and communicate. And that's how memory gets consolidated. So in short, what ketones are doing is that they're improving your cognitive function. They're improving your mental acuity. But most importantly, Joan, if there's nothing else that your audience takes away from this, this is the take-home message. Ketones have been shown to 
turn on antioxidant genes in the body. So what's the big fuss about antioxidant genes? Well, let's bear in mind that because of the metabolic processes in the body, our bodies are being constantly bombarded by free radicals. What are free radicals? These are just oxygen atoms that exist by themselves. They're missing electrons, so they're highly unstable. And so like other unstable elements, I should say, in our society, what they do is they begin to attack different compounds in your body, and that causes oxidative damage. So there's a whole cascade of reactions that occurs, which ultimately culminates in inflammation, the basis of all chronic disease. What ketones are doing is that by turning on antioxidant genes, as the name suggests, what ketones are doing is that they're short-circuiting this whole cascade. They're nipping in the bud the very origin of oxidative stress in the body. Or if it has started, it, it kind of short-circuits that process. And in so doing, what we have done is we have mitigated that process. This then becomes a game changer in and a very important weapon, if you will, in our arsenal against oxidative damage and chronic disease. So this is a very important feature that ketones exhibit that I think, well, it's not just my opinion, but essentially that can help plausibly increase the lifespan. You know, um, I'm, I'm loving this because, you know, again, we did, a, um, as I mentioned in the beginning of this, we did an episode of this, you know, two years ago. And, and again, just like you said, Sankita, that, you know, science is emerging. So what we didn't, we didn't know two years ago, we know now, and probably next year I'm going to have you back on because you're going to tell me something new. Oh, thank you, Joan. I would be happy. Well, let me tell you, this has been a feast of information that I think gives us a clearer picture of what intermittent fasting is, and, and more importantly, the role that ketones play in the body. I want to thank you again for, for providing us with science-based information. And I am telling you right now, you are coming back because I know that a year from now, there's going to be even more insight on intermittent fasting as well as ketones as the research continues to evolve. You know, if intermittent fasting is something that you're interested in, you should also speak with your healthcare provider to make sure that it is appropriate for you. And I promise, Sagita Prudan, you are coming back on Spot On to give us more information. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. I would be honored to come back. Thank you, Joan. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?